Hello and welcome to the Body Acceptance Podcast. This podcast is for women who struggle to love and sometimes even like their bodies and who want to build a more loving relationship with themselves through experiencing more joy, pleasure, and confidence. Each week we'll cover topics ranging from body image, intuitive eating, self-love, and so much more. If you're ready to learn practical tips and tools for loving the skin you're in, then you're in the right place. Let's get to it. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Body Acceptance Podcast. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm feeling extra excited to talk to you this week. I've been really craving doing an episode, um, and I've just had so I've had so much inspiration and so much that I want to talk about, not just on the podcast, but also on the blog and then on Instagram. I want to start doing more IGTVs and maybe reels. I need to figure out how to get good at those. I personally don't really like being on video, so that's one barrier I'm going to have to work through. But yeah, the cicadas, the typhoon is over, the quote-unquote typhoon. It was like really, I don't I don't know. It was very windy, very rainy for like five days straight. So that part was hard, but it was not a bad typhoon from what we heard. Jason even got out of, my husband Jason even got out of um, work at noon. So he got to go home early uh, last Tuesday. And we thought for sure that everyone was going to get the day off Wednesday. And Wednesday was actually worse. And so we had like a typhoon potluck with our neighbors and we stayed up to like, well, Jason was smart and went to bed at midnight, but the rest, me and the rest of the neighbors stayed up till 3 a.m. watching white chicks because one of the neighbors had never seen white chicks. So, uh, and then that's one of my favorite movies, of course, basic white girl. So we did that. And then, um, and the storm just finally really let up yesterday morning, Monday morning, or no, Sunday morning. And how I knew was that all of a sudden I heard cicadas and we hadn't heard them during the whole storm, which was peaceful, but then they came back and they're not, I don't think there's as many as there were, so they're not as loud, but just in this episode, you might notice it going off and on. Normally I try not to record when they're full force, because I think it was like two episodes back or something. They were just so loud. It was unbearable. And I was listening back to that episode and I'm like, okay, I have to do it a little bit later in the afternoon when they're quieter. And like I said, it's kind of hard to like right now they're like silence and then they go for a second. So oy, oy, oy. we didn't know that this was going to be one of those, one of the challenges in moving to Japan is trying to record podcast episodes you know, I've even thought about having like guest interviews because that's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And it still just doesn't feel like the right time because of the cicadas, how loud they are in the mornings. And because I'm overseas, I would have to record and talk to somebody and it would be like afternoon their time. And so, yeah, I just think that for now, solo episodes are still going to be the thing, which is totally fine because I still feel like I have a lot to cover And, you know, lately I've actually been into solo podcasts more than like guest interviews anyway. I guess when you get guest interviews, you never really 
Like it's, it's something random, so you never really know if you're gonna like the topic or the person. At least when I listen to solo episodes that I know that I like the hostess, host, hostess, either one, and uh, I know that I like them and what they have to say and the way that they present. So hopefully, I know some of you have given me compliments on this podcast and how it's engaging and easy to listen to and interesting. And so let's just keep it that way until maybe one day we can get some guest experts on here. Um, speaking of, I was doing my little morning meditation and I'm not a big numbers person, obviously, uh, because I can be obsessive and I tend to be a perfectionist or I just get easily discouraged by numbers, hence why I can't like, or I've chosen not to, um, pay attention or track my weight or calories or macros or anything like that. I just don't feel that it's necessary because I am more on, I'm more of an intuitive and I like to focus on how I feel or... You know, because you can feel really good about something and then see the numbers and maybe it's not what it's quote unquote supposed to be and get really discouraged. I get really honestly discouraged in my business when people talk numbers with me, when they try and ask me like, oh, how many Instagram followers do you have? Or how many people are on your email list? Or how many books did you sell? I don't really like to answer those questions because I feel that it's irrelevant. I feel that... What matters to me is when I hear from you and you tell me like, oh, this episode really resonated with me or your your podcast really helps me or I really love looking at your posts. To me, that's more of a, an indicator of that, of me doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing versus like numbers. And because like if I were to say like, oh, you know, only this number of people bought my book and then and then I'm like, you know, it's a small number, but whatever. And what about those people that bought my book? Like how amazing, how would they feel if they said like, oh, only this amount of people? Like I am just in awe of any of you who have bought my book or who listen to my podcast on a weekly basis, or even you pop in every once in a while and get what you need. Like I think about that and I wonder like who is, because I don't actually see obviously the names of who listens to my podcast or who bought my book or anything like that. But I'm just like wondering because I know a few select people that do listen to my podcast on a pretty regular basis, but there are more people that listen on a weekly basis than that, like a lot more. Um, according to my numbers and well, not a lot, a lot more, (laughs) but a lot more than like two or three people. And so I just want to know, like, who are you? I want to know more about you and like what you think when you listen or what, if you have bought my book, the body acceptance book, which by the way, officially is published this week. I don't actually know being overseas. I'm like, it's the 31st, which is um, this Saturday for us. Uh, and, um, I don't know. I'm so confused about like the time difference. So I don't know if Amazon is publishing it in my time or back like stateside time, but either way it comes out in a few days. And like, I just want to know like who is benefiting from it, like, um, or what you actually could use more support around. And, or just like who you are as a person. Like I just want to know you. I don't want to I don't want you to just be a number. 
And I know for me, whenever I've invested in any sort of like coach or program or anything, I love when I love being seen by the person who is has created or is running the program. I love that because then I feel like I have like a relationship with them and that's when I tend to uh, really get invested, not just with like the money, but also invested in the program. And the thing is like having that accountability and just having, again, I guess the relationship is the best way to describe it. So if you ever feel like you want to talk to me or tell me things about the podcast, but maybe you think that I'm too busy or it's not important or whatever, it's so important to me. And I really do care about who you are and what you have to say and, you know, and and what it is that I can help you with. So make sure that you are connected with me in some way, either on Instagram, I'm at Lauren M. Kendrick. I did start a separate page for the Body Acceptance Podcast, just for people who maybe want to follow and get episode updates. Um, but I'm not going to be super active on that one. I'm more active on Lauren Kendrick, Lauren M. Kendrick. Or if you are a part of my VIP newsletter, now that I'm sending out weekly newsletters, just giving you words of wisdom every week, telling you what's going on in the business, um, sharing the weekly podcast episode with you and just connecting with you every week. So if you're on that list, you can always reply to any of the emails that I send out and just let me know what's on your mind. Again, I love that. I always look for my through my inbox to see if there's any new messages. And I used to get a lot, but I haven't gotten them for quite a while. So um, also, I guess that has to do with the fact that I, I changed my whole brand and, um, and cleared out my new, my email list, the people that were on it and restarted. So if you're on it now or you want to be, you can go to thebodyacceptance.com and either click in the tab that says work with or free guide or work with me, either one, um, free guide and make sure that you sign up for the body acceptance guide or it's on the front page too. You can sign up either one, but just grab the free guide. You'll automatically be added to the VIP list. Plus having the free guide will help you gauge like if you feel connected to me and my message and this work and you want to dig deeper because if you like the guide then your next step is to buy the body acceptance book and actually right now that the body acceptance book is out in the world i started creating a body acceptance workbook which is going to be your next step and that's just gonna give you a way to really dig deep and gather some insight on what it is that you really struggle with when it comes to your body and just some things in your life like whether it's like self-love food and exercise um, the environment around you your life vision just how you can get really clear on what's going on and then start to take steps forward So be on the lookout for that. And then later on this year or early 2022, I'm launching a full on digital course, which is the compilation and um, not really compilation of everything that we're doing here. Right now, the book is going to give you information, right, of telling you like what body acceptance is, why it's important, how you can get started. Then the workbook is going to be the next step, like I said, for you to gain insight on like what it is that you want to work on and, and why that feels so important. 
And then the digital course is going to be the catalyst to make that happen. So courses are all about teaching you to take action or inspiring you and guiding you toward taking action. So books and all that are amazing so you can have the information. And then when you take the course, it's time to actually start implementing everything and really seeing the transformation. So I'm really excited for all of that. And that's really where the body acceptance brand is going right now. So I figured in celebration of this, the body acceptance book publishing this week, I would like to read you chapter six, which is called the all or something approach to making sustainable habit changes. I really, this is one of my favorite chapters. I feel like it's the most comprehensive and definitely the most helpful and actionable. So I thought, you know, we'll start here. And if you really like this chapter, you can even purchase the book just to get this chapter and to be able to go back to it over and over again. What I also really like about the book is that in the last, the last chapter is all of these, like it lays out scenarios that you may be experiencing. And then I summarize whatever I covered earlier in the book. I summarize how you can use the tools that I've shared throughout the book in those specific situations. So it's like a toolkit that you can just flip to the last chapter whenever you need it. Um, That way you can go back to the book over and over again without feeling like you have to dig for everything. It's laid out very simply there for you. All right, so without further ado, let's read chapter six of the Body Acceptance book. When making any sort of health improvement, we're often sold a quick fix. How many times have you bought into a diet or plan that promised a certain amount of pounds would be lost in a specific time frame. Unfortunately, we've been led to believe we can achieve health by punishing ourselves and practicing self-discipline. So what is health anyway? Obviously, there's a lot that factors into answering that question. And we all have our own personal battles when it comes to health. In other words, health is a very individualized topic. Surprise, surprise. The better question then is, how do you experience your own personal version of health and what does that look like for you? We'll explore that question throughout this chapter. I wrote this book to empower you to know exactly what to do when something feels off in your body, health, and life. But how can I do that if I don't provide you with a handbook on how to overcome every single health and life challenge possible? because I know something that most people either don't know or won't tell you, and usually that's because they want to sell you something. You have the answers within you. Your body holds way more wisdom than you give it credit for. How do you think people cared for themselves before there was Dr. Google or social media? I do feel that it's helpful and even essential for you to develop a toolbox of resources and valuable practices and knowledge, but when and how you use those and knowing how to personalize them just for you is something only you are capable of. My job is to equip you with the tools I've adopted that work for myself and many others to simply offer them to you and encourage you to experiment with them on your own terms. Imagine you're going through a bag of clothes you've been given. Keep what you want and leave the rest behind. Well, technically donate the rest, but you get what I mean. So as you're reading this book and other resources I recommend, please keep that in mind. The first step to creating sustainable change in your life is getting real about the process and how long it takes. 
So let's do that now. The process of transformation. If you're tired of trying to make changes but only sticking to something for a few weeks or maybe even a few months, here are some helpful tips. The most effective way to change your habits is to implement one to three at a time. Examples, adding veggies into your daily lunch, journaling five minutes each morning, etc. I know it's tempting to try and overhaul your life all at once, but chances are you'll become overwhelmed and fail to stay consistent. Then you'll go right back into the cycle of beating yourself up for not being perfect and feeling discouraged. You're more likely to stick to habits you enjoy. If you're dreading something, it's a sign that it may not be the right fit for you. Of course, there will always be a balance of things you don't particularly love doing, but you know they're essential. Please keep that in mind. But for habits you completely dread, you can always revisit later and instead focus on something else for now. Or you can ditch the practice entirely if it isn't non-negotiable. You may also choose to tweak the habit into something you do look forward to, which is my personal favorite option. Example, let's say you don't like exercise. Maybe you're dreading your 30-minute cardio session. Is it possible that you're not doing a type of cardio you enjoy? What sounds more appealing? Explore that. Maybe cardio just isn't your thing right now and you'd instead prefer lifting weights. That's okay too. Instead of trying to altogether ditch a bad habit or one that isn't serving you, simply replace it with a habit you'd rather be doing. Example, your nightly glass of wine. Is it just a feeling you're after? If you're trying to feel relaxed, is there a different ritual you can do instead, like drinking tea, reading, or journaling? Remember this, small changes add up to significant transformation. I know it feels counterintuitive and you want to do the opposite. I personally didn't start seeing powerful shifts in my own life until I got good at implementing positive habits a little at a time. It doesn't feel like much at first, but if you trust the process and stay consistent, you'll look back in awe of all you've achieved in just weeks, months, and years. The timeline of transformation. I hate to say it, but there really is no timeline when it comes to improving your life. Everyone has a different story. We all go about things at our own pace, and there is no right way to experience personal transformation. In other words, you're in it for the long haul, which is what you want anyway, right? If you're reading this book, then I'm willing to bet that you desire a life of joy, freedom, and growth, or something along those lines. But the expansion doesn't have to end. And actually, the joy and freedom you'll experience are most often direct results of positive habits and maintaining a clear vision of what you desire to call in. It's a beautiful cyclical process that goes on and on until you leave this earth. Oh, and I also encourage you to stop often along the way to appreciate the progress you make and acknowledge how far you've come. You don't have to work on improving 100% of the time. And if you aim for perfection, it'll probably get exhausting real quick. When you learn to tune into your body, you'll automatically become more connected to your intuition. Your intuition will guide you and let you know what the next steps are. Just like you're getting good at listening to what your body needs, you'll get better at asking and listening to what you need. Be patient and allow the answers to come to you. Be open to the messages from the universe when they're presented to you. 
It may not always be in the format you expect it to be, but trust the process and you will be rewarded. Healing is not linear. Transformation is not linear. And the goal is to learn to sit with the discomfort of not always having all the answers right away. However, the key moments are found in the present anyway, so practice getting there through meditation, breath, and grounding, and give yourself some grace along the way. The all or something approach. A few years ago, I developed a compass to help me determine whether or not I'm on the right track. Not only does this compass serve as a guide for my next steps, but it also helps me recenter when I'm feeling like I'm not good enough or I'm not doing enough. I call this the all or something framework. Allow me to explain to you how it works and how you can use this compass in your own life. Okay, so first of all, I'm sure you can probably get an idea of where I'm going with this. Here's the thing. When we make changes or improvements in our lives, we have a tendency to think in terms of all or nothing. In other words, you either get it right 100% of the time or you give up altogether. You either eat donuts or you don't. You're either a vegetarian or you're not. It doesn't feel worth it if you can't be perfect, right? That's because we live in a society of extremes. We're not taught to get comfortable with the gray areas. At first, it was challenging for me to get comfortable with the gray area. It felt so foreign. I felt like if I can't be perfect, then what's the point? But then I thought, what's the point of trying to be perfect? Who am I trying to please? Whose standards am I trying to meet? And what happens if I fall short? Well, those are the questions I needed to explore before moving forward. And when I really thought about it, what I wanted was to give myself more love and respect. I'm no stranger to the effects of unconditional love. Love breeds transformation. Love creates abundance. Love encourages more bliss, play, and pleasure. So why was I so afraid of those things? I'd been taught that it's gluttonous and selfish to accept my flaws and shortcomings. I was led to believe that it's wrong and dangerous to tolerate my imperfections, and that if I didn't strive for perfection, I'd fall into the opposite end of the spectrum. I'd become complacent, irresponsible, and without a care for anyone but myself. But here's the thing. When I stopped expecting myself to do it all, and when I gave myself space to just do something, my world expanded. It didn't shrink. I didn't die. I didn't let myself go. Instead, I found myself in a magical in-between space, the gray area. And I continue to discover more and more of myself as I explore the all or something realm. So let's reflect on some ways you can use the all or something framework to create positive changes in your own life. Eating habits. Should you give up foods, all foods that are considered unhealthy to be healthy? The all or something framework says no. Most people who try to give up foods or food groups they really love end up doing really well for a while and eventually binge on those same foods. So what's the solution? The All or Something framework encourages you to allow for all foods and food groups. Nothing is off limits. If you find that it's easier for you to give up a food that's considered bad for you, that's totally cool. What I'm referring to is the trigger foods or foods you feel out of control with. Instinctively, and based on what we're told, it makes sense to completely eliminate those foods, right? If the temptation is there, we'll give in. If not, we won't. Bada bing, bada boom. 
Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Eating is something you'll do every day for the rest of your life. Being social and going to events that center around food is also a meaningful aspect of being human. What happens if you don't work on your relationship to food and you just try to force yourself not to eat something? It's like putting a band-aid on a problem. It doesn't solve the root issue. And by the way, sometimes foods are really freaking enjoyable. It feels luxurious to savor a rich, decadent dessert. Will you just never allow yourself to do that again? The key is to notice what your trigger foods are. If you've been dieting or restricting for a long time, you may have a long list. When I began this process, my list included ice cream, french fries, cereal, peanut butter, chips, crackers, cookies, donuts, and so on. It was a pretty long list, so I had to make my way through it over time. I started out by just asking myself what I was craving. Then, if it happened to be one of the foods on my list, I'd go out and buy it. Let's take cereal as an example. It helped to purchase multiple cereal boxes because I knew there was no way I'd eat multiple boxes in one sitting. Maybe one, but not two or more. Buying a lot also helped pacify my scarcity mindset. I knew that there was plenty, so I didn't feel the need to eat it all before someone else in the house got to it. The other key in doing this is bringing presence into your eating experience. In other words, I avoided watching TV or distracting myself while eating those foods. Instead, I would put them on a plate or in a bowl as if I were doing something normal and not forbidden, and I'd sit down and pay attention. I'd notice the flavors, textures, and mentally take note of whether or not I really enjoyed it. Many of the trigger foods from my list ended up being foods I don't often crave or even like that much. The only reason they were trigger foods was that they were on the naughty list. Once they no longer held any power over me, and I knew they were available to me anytime, I stopped even thinking about them. And what about the foods I discovered that I really do love and enjoy? At first, I ate them pretty often, but I also made sure to eat regular balanced meals throughout the day. Because I wasn't ravenous when it came time to eat, I was better able to relax into my meal instead of feeling frantic. And when I'm not super hungry all the time, I don't feel the need to eat something with a high amount of carbs or sugar. I now recognize that I often craved those foods because I wasn't getting enough calories and nutrients. Where I'm at now. Because I've been restriction-free for five years, my former trigger foods, the ones I decided I really do like, are just everyday foods to me. When I want them, I either go out and buy them, keep them in our regular grocery rotation, or we go to a restaurant and have them. At first, you may notice yourself still binging on your trigger foods. It might reinforce the idea that you need to have them out of your life altogether. So here are a few questions to ask yourself if you still feel out of control after giving yourself unconditional permission to eat those trigger foods. Have I had enough to eat today? Was I feeling ravenous before eating this food? Am I still feeling mentally restricted around this food, i.e. still believing it's quote unquote bad or I'm bad for eating it? Haven't had enough to eat today? Be sure to keep a variety of foods around at all times. Keep your refrigerator and pantry well stocked with both fresh and convenient foods. Sometimes you may know you're hungry, but don't feel like making a meal from scratch. That's when it's helpful to have granola bars, cereals, fruits, veggies, dips, and so on around. 
Keep emergency snacks on hand as well. Store them at your desk at work, your car, your purse, and so on. Finally, get ahead of your hunger by checking in often and assessing your appetite. Feeling ravenous? When you allow yourself to get extremely hungry before choosing to eat, it makes it a lot harder to tune in and monitor your fullness and satiation levels. Usually by the time you get this hungry, your body is ready to eat. At that point, your blood sugar levels will likely have dropped and your body will crave anything to quickly raise those levels back up. Those are the times you'll crave sugar and simple carbs the most. You'll also probably eat quickly and often past fullness. It's your body's normal response to a high level of hunger and there's nothing broken about you. Knowing this helps to remind you of the importance of eating throughout the day and including all macronutrients in each meal, carbs, proteins, fats, to stabilize your blood sugar and energy levels. Mental restriction? This one is a little bit trickier to overcome. The mental restriction is often a result of fearing weight gain, destroying your health, and so on. Do some reflection on why you still feel mentally restricted. You may find it helpful to revisit the previous chapters of this book for specific body image struggles. It also helps to educate yourself using the anti-diet weight neutral resources I've listed in chapter nine. What if you identify foods that don't make you feel good? Or what if you want to prioritize foods that will improve your health? Part of learning to eat intuitively means recognizing how different foods make you feel. So what happens when you identify that a food you really love, the taste of doesn't make you feel great? First of all, pay attention to the amount you're eating. If it's a richer food, a smaller amount may feel best. So test out the amount that begins to feel like too much. You may also decide to eat food that doesn't make you feel great. Maybe even a lot of it. That's okay too. What you can do in that situation is assess whether or not it's worth it. You may come to the conclusion that you don't mind indulging every once in a while, and it's worth the temporary discomfort you feel afterward. You may also recognize that eating less of food that feels okay in your body. So when you do eat it, you savor and really enjoy it. Your body wants to be healthy. That's why it literally fights every day to keep you alive. This means that once you release control and work through your trigger foods, you may be surprised at how natural it feels to eat a balanced diet. Allowing your body to make the choices for you takes the pressure off. When you no longer have to count calories or obsess over amounts of sugar and ingredients, you give your body the space to lead the way. Trust is the most vital component of this process. And when you learn to trust yourself around food, you naturally begin to trust yourself in all other areas of your life. Exercise. We're taught that exercising is just a way to burn calories and lose weight. Were you ever taught that moving your body as an adult can be enjoyable? I certainly wasn't. For the longest time, I associated working out with punishing myself for not being trim or fit enough. I can't say that I never enjoyed my workouts though. I actually really did love running and lifting weights, but I didn't feel like my activities counted unless I did them a certain number of days of the week for a certain amount of time. In other words, exercise was an all or nothing event for me. I either worked out five to six days a week or vowed to start over the next week if I fell short. I had to be on a specific workout plan. 
Otherwise, I didn't feel it was worth it just to intuit my way through a workout. I also wore myself out so much in the gym that I wasn't active outside of it. I just didn't have the energy. I never thought about combining an active lifestyle along with structured workouts. I didn't realize that I can choose to only do exercises that I enjoy and to commit to moving my body joyfully as often as possible. What is joyful movement, you ask? Just like it sounds. It means moving your body in ways that feel pleasurable to you. The best way to discover your version of joyful movement is to think back to what you loved doing as a kid. Did you love being out in nature? Maybe as an adult, you can hike or go on long walks outside. Did you love to express yourself through dance? You can still put on music anytime and dance around your house. I personally love to go and see live bands so I can dance along. I even recently got some roller skates because that's something I loved doing as a little girl. I probably would have never thought about doing that if I was still in the mindset of needing to burn a certain amount of calories during a workout. You can simply commit to an active lifestyle without requiring structured workouts. But if there are types of exercise you enjoy, that's also something fun to explore. At first when I was healing my relationship with food and my body, I took time away from the gym. I needed to really examine how I enjoy moving my body without being bogged down by the shoulds from the fitness industry. However, once I returned to structured exercise, I discovered that I love spin class, yoga, currently exploring aerial yoga, and weightlifting. One more thing to keep in mind is the hormonal cycle of a woman. Throughout your menstrual cycle, you might notice you have different energy levels. One week you may feel on top of the world, and the next you might want nothing more than to lay on your couch and eat hot Cheetos. There is a reason for that. Your hormone levels vary based on the different phases of your cycle. For example, right after your period ends, you might notice a surge in energy. That's an excellent time for you to do more strenuous workouts like running, spin, and so on. On the other hand, as you get closer to your period, you'll likely crave more restorative activities like stretching, yoga, and walking. The All or Something framework allows you the flexibility to switch up your workout routine as often as you'd like, guilt-free. It's actually best for your body to experience variety. As they say, the best workout routine is the one you'll stick to. So experiment with different types of movement, and I guarantee you'll find at least one that you love. Self-care. One of the biggest motivations for me to seek body acceptance came from my lack of self-care. It's pretty challenging to find the desire to take care of a body you hate. And I felt that self-care was reserved for a body that I enjoyed looking at. I didn't feel that my body was deserving, and I often assumed I'd want to indulge in more self-care once I lost weight. When I talk about self-care, I'm not just talking about bubble baths and massages. I also mean basic things like allowing myself to rest, engaging in joyful movement, eating foods that taste good, and reveling in the pleasure of life. What are your thoughts on self-care? Do you notice that some weeks you're super in tune with yourself and others you feel completely detached? It can be tough to find a balance between self-care and practicing self-discipline. And sometimes discipline can actually be a form of self-care. But again, you intuitively know what you need to do to feel good. And I'm pretty sure you can feel the difference between making an excuse to skip your workout and really feeling that is necessary. 
When you first begin practicing regular self-care, understand that the pendulum may swing the opposite way, meaning you may notice that you're really easy on yourself, maybe even too easy. That's totally fine and sometimes even necessary while you gauge what's best for you. You'll start to notice when you're being too easy on yourself. For me, that shows up with a sort of tension and anxiety. It's like the come to Jesus talks I have to give myself every once in a while where I'm like, okay, Lauren, you know this feels important and I know you don't wanna get up off that couch right now, but you'll feel so much better once you follow through. And spoiler alert, it always feels better when I follow the callings of my intuition. Sometimes it just takes some momentum to build more. Once you take that first step or make the first move, it's a lot easier to keep going which is another reason why I love using the all or something mindset approach so much. Because when I remind myself that if I just do something, it's enough. But what I often find is that by doing the one thing, I build enough momentum to do what else needs to be done. The more present you stay with yourself and with that voice, the more intuitive and natural your self-care practice will become. Body image. As body acceptance has become a hot topic, many people have forgotten the actual message behind it. There are so many body positive role models and leaders out there. It can be easy to forget that those people are also human and their body image struggles never entirely end. Just like with anything else, body acceptance can easily be hijacked by perfectionism meaning treating it like there's a perfect way to be done and criticizing those who may not uphold that standard. Like most things we cover in this book, there's no destination for body image work. Some days you'll feel really uncomfortable in your body, while other days you might feel amazing. And then at times you might feel somewhere in between. And just because you fluctuate, your progress does not diminish. You are not less worthy or less recovered because you have bad body image days. Body image is also not an all or nothing thing. There's also something called body neutrality. Many women feel that when they first start healing their relationship with their body, it feels more realistic to work towards body neutrality than anything else. And this presents just as it sounds, with you not absolutely loving your body and also not hating it. Most days I have to admit that I feel this about how my body looks. I just kind of feel like meh, and that's okay. Also, when it comes to body image, wanting to accept your body while simultaneously wanting to change it is welcome. Remember, body acceptance is rooted in the way you treat your body. It doesn't mean you're required to love the way you look and to never want to change. It's up to you to decide your motives behind wanting to change and assess whether or not you feel okay with whatever process it takes to make that change. I've seen so many of the body positive role models on social media called out for admitting they struggle with body image. They're criticized for doing any sort of exercise in an attempt to change their physique or improve their health. There is no perfect way to pursue body image work and only you truly know what works best for you. And just because something has been harmful to you doesn't necessarily mean everyone will have the same experience. Your body image will likely fluctuate from day to day and maybe even hour to hour. At this point, it's just something that's in the background for me. I notice it, but it doesn't take over. It's like having apps running in the background of your phone. You don't really see them unless there are too many open. 
So if you notice your battery draining more quickly than usual, it's time to take inventory and decide what needs to be shut down. The same goes for all other areas of your life. And that is all for chapter six. Chapter seven is called Your Healing Timeline. And the book goes on from there. There are nine chapters total. So like I said, that is a very comprehensive chapter. Um, I love that there are so many elements to it and it's separated section by section. Again, easily organized so you can go back and refer to it anytime that you need to. I hope you enjoyed this chapter reading. If you want to purchase the book, you can either find me on Instagram, again, at Lauren M. Kendrick. Probably the easiest way would either be go to thebodyacceptance.com and then the work with me tab has a link to it. If you scroll all the way down to the bottom, or you can just search on Amazon, just search um, Body Acceptance by Lauren Kendrick. And just know that for now, the book is exclusively available on Kindle. So it's not available in print just yet. That takes a little bit more, uh, a few more steps. And I wanted to make sure that it would be worth it. So if enough of you come to me and say, hey, I want a printed version of this book, then I'll make it happen. But if you're okay with just the ebook, totally cool. I'm personally am usually more of an ebook reader. And unless I really like a book, then I'll buy it in print, um, in print format. So I have it in both formats, but I usually like to have it in digital and in print if I'm going to do that. So yeah, that's all for the body acceptance book. And for this podcast episode, I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Uh, next week, I'm going to cover the topic of, um, uh, unsupportive partners or people in your life when it comes to you choosing body acceptance. Like what do you do if, say you have a partner who is still very image focused and you wanna try and help get them on board for body acceptance. And yeah, so look, be on the lookout for that next week and I'll chat with you then, bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Body Acceptance Podcast. Be sure you're subscribed wherever you listen so you don't miss when a new episode drops. If you love this podcast, I would so appreciate if you leave a review. The more positive reviews I have, the more this podcast can reach women like you who are in need of this message. Let's create a ripple effect and inspire more ladies to love themselves. And as always, feel free to share this episode with a friend or tag me on your Instagram stories at Lauren M. Kepler to let me know you're listening. Can't wait to chat with you again next week, but until then... Remember that you're worthy and beautiful as you are right now.